And now, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, a special hello goes out to the director of media for the Boston Bruins alumni, Mr. Mark Boland. Nice to see you, Marky. Welcome to the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast, the home of behind-the-scenes interviews, stories, and memories that celebrate the heritage of the great game of hockey. The Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast is hosted by Mark Willand. Episode 29 of the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast features Don Luce, a Buffalo Sabres Hall of Famer who was one of the NHL's premier two-way players in the 1970s. Luce teamed with wingers Craig Ramsey and Danny Gare to form one of hockey's most potent lines. In all, Luce played 894 NHL games, scoring 225 goals, adding 329 assists for 554 points. His best statistical season was 74-75 with the Sabres when he set career highs in goals with 33.76, shorthanded goals with 8, a plus-minus rating of plus 61. Of course, that was the year the Sabres went to the Stanley Cup Finals before losing to the Philadelphia Flyers. At season's end, Luce was awarded with the Masterton Trophy for Perseverance to Hockey. Post-career, Luce enjoyed a great success in player development with the Sabres and the Flyers. In this interview, Don tells hilarious stories about his days with the Rangers, Red Wings, and Sabres, also discusses the heartbreaking trade from Buffalo to L.A. and the tough adjustment he had in the early days of retirement. Don also discusses his exciting new business, which helps athletes of all ages maximize their mental preparation for athletic competition. Now, let's talk classic hockey with Don Luce. Well, we're back on the show with a guy who used to be best known as one of the top two-way players in all of hockey in the 70s and early 80s, but perhaps now is best known as the grandfather of Griffin Luce of the University of Michigan hockey team, Mr. Don Luce. Don, thanks so much for being here tonight. Well, thanks for having me, Mark. It's a pleasure. We, uh, we really appreciate that, and it must be a lot of fun and very exciting. I mean, your, your son, Scott, obviously very successful in hockey, helping to build a uh, Las Vegas Golden Knights hockey club, and his son, Griffin. It must be a lot of fun to be able to uh, to watch him play big-time college hockey. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it, it's exciting. It's uh, at times very nerve-wracking. <laughs> <laughs> right. But it, it's it's great to be able to to go to the games and see the, you know him develop and become a, a very good player. When you were young, uh, you played junior B. And I believe it was a team called St. Mary's. When did the New York Rangers uh, scouts first notice you? When did you first have contact with them and think you may have an opportunity to play professionally someday? Uh, well, uh, really, uh, it happened after I played uh, my first year in St. Mary's. Um, that summer, I uh, I was invited to uh, <laughs> uh, the Kitchener Rangers training camp, mm-hmm. and also I was invited to the Peterborough Peach training camp. And uh, so I I decided on the on the Kitchener team, and I went to camp, and I made the team. But it was like major, you know, it was major junior. And uh, I didn't think that, because of the situation, I just didn't feel right about getting a lot of ice time that year. Mm-hmm. So I went back to St. Mary's to play another year of Junior B. And then the next year, they had, <clears throat> excuse me, they had a, a, a OHL, OHA at the time, draft, and uh, they... They uh, picked me because they, the fr- they had the first pick, so mm-hmm. they picked me. And that's when I became a Kitchener Ranger. And that same year, that was the year that uh, most of the junior teams were owned by NHL teams. Right. And uh, that was the same year that they they had to divest themselves of the junior teams. So, uh, you know, but I was already, like, if I had have gone to the year before, I would have become Ranger property automatically. Mm-hmm. 
but uh, because they went back and played junior B, they had to, you know, they had to uh, first draft me to the Kitchen Rangers, and then the next year they drafted me in the uh, NHL draft. So the cat had his eyes on you for a while, Emil Francis. Yes. You. I I found out later that yeah they they'd been scouting me in St. Mary's and everything else so. Lou Pasador and Steve Berkusich. I was curious uh, when you go to the New York Rangers training camp. This is a team that has no shortage of good centers and up and coming centers. They've got uh, Jean Rattel, Walkachuk. You've got Owen Curtin back, uh, Whitey Whiting, others. So what's yeah. what's it like uh, in your your first? I'm, I'm assuming the camp was up in Kitchener. Um, you got it. So, <laughs> what, what what's that like now? You got the Vic Hadfield, Roger Bear. Uh, it's got to be uh, an incredible experience for a young kid. Oh, absolutely! Uh, like it's just uh, it's surreal. It's like, is this really happening? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, because there's guys you watch on TV, and you know, all of a sudden you're on the same ice with them, and 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 uh, you, you know, even when you play an exhibition game, you're playing against people, you know that you've watched for years on TV and, and all of a sudden you're you're in the mix with them and playing with them so yeah. it's, it's a it's an amazing experience it's hard to it's hard to explain how like it's it's so exciting that, that you're almost numb to it if you know what I mean mm-hmm. and it's just like uh, just it's just a, such a wonderful experience yeah, it's got to be incredible it's almost uh, I explained this to my son one time it's almost like if you could jump into your video game you're playing and all of a sudden find yourself on the ice with all these heroes and, and, and players that you watch. I, I've often thought about that myself, how I, if I could have some magic formula or <laughs> something where I could just for one, one time just feel what it was like stepping on the ice with guys like that and playing, um, it, it had to be incredible. So you end up, as with a lot of the uh, uh, young Rangers, you go to Omaha, uh, Nebraska. Yep. Um, playing uh, uh, minor league hockey and getting seasoned. What was it like? I mean, I've never really considered this, but what was it like playing uh, professional hockey in Nebraska? It, it was great. Like we we sold out every game, I think, and, and uh, it was great following. Uh, and the team was we lost, we lost out the first round of the playoffs the first year, and then we we won the championship the second year. Uh, but it was great because uh, uh, back then it was like uh, they always had some older veterans on the team, so they helped because you know they had the American League and the, and the Central League at the time, mm-hmm. and all the young prospects went to the Central League. Oh, and the okay. Older, yeah. The older guys that, that were basically uh, either at the end of their career or you know weren't uh, on the cusp of making it went to the American League. So the whole league was made up of young guys and, uh, you know, basically it was like you play against guys that you play junior against because they had turned pro too. Right. You know, and so it was it was good. Like the, the, the city itself was wonderful. Um, you know, they, they loved their hockey. Uh, we, you know, back then we all lived in the same complex basically. And, and so... The tightness of the team was was tremendous, and and they played with a lot of great players there. I mean, it was some some really good players. So it was uh, it's always fun when you're winning. <laughs> oh, absolutely! And you know, the NHL had just expanded a couple years earlier to 12 teams, but still only 12 teams. So uh, a lot of talent in the minor leagues, and as you said, enough to fill two teams. A few of the New York Rangers. And eventually, yep. you get the call in sixty nine seventy. The Rangers are starting to hit their stride as a premier NHL franchise, and you have a, a, a short stay with them in sixty nine seventy. One guy that was was there, I think he was there when you were there, and you certainly played with him in Buffalo. And I think of this because I just saw a picture of a young Tim Horton the other day, and it was a picture of him uh, as a young guy, and he didn't have his jersey on it. I think he. He was one of the. He was so. I could never realize how big and strong and muscular the guy was, until I saw this picture. I, I didn't know him personally, obviously, but uh, 
what type of guy was Tim? What type of relationship? And what was it like? Because he was older at that point, but still a, a very much of a force on defense. Well, like that, that's the funny thing. When I got called up, um, Tim had just been traded there. And uh, so he was living in a Penn Garden Hotel. It's a street from, from Madison Square Gardens. And so when I got called up, that's where I stayed. And uh, I was there, I don't know, two weeks or so. Uh, Emo said that uh, I was staying up. And uh, he said, why don't you, <clears throat> excuse me, bring up your your wife and your daughter. And so they came up and stayed for two weeks. But in, in that interim, Tim had his family, mm-hmm. and he had the penthouse in the pen garden. And, you know, we were, we were kids, and, and he would always invite us up for dinner and, and stuff. And one of the lessons, my it's funny, because my wife said to him one time, she said, Mr. Horton, can, can can I have your autograph? <laughs> and he started laughing. He says, "You don't call me Mr. Horton. You call me Tim. Your 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 husband plays with me. He's a teammate. Mm-hmm. I'm not your grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just we're, I'm one of the guys, sort of thing. You know. And so it was a great relationship. And what what came of it because Tim had a, a habit of if when you went on the road, if he wanted to go to dinner with you, he'd wait for you in the lobby, mm-hmm. and he and he'd put his arm around you, and uh, you referenced how strong he was. Well, once that arm was around you, you had no choice. <laughs> I can. But, well, but, but what he did was because he found out that I had a sweet tooth, and so in a lot of the cities. Uh, he would come down and wait for me, and uh, we'd go out. But it wouldn't be to dinner. We'd go. He had found a list of donut shops, <laughs> and we'd go to them. and And he would, you know, ask me to pick out some donuts to eat, and, and then give him, you know, do you like that one or not? And and then he would go and ask the guy how he made them. And, and so we 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 did that for uh, you know just about the, well the rest of that year and uh, so I did it's, a lot uh, of the donut tasting and uh, <laughs> and so our families became close because Diane stayed with uh, Lori and the kids at the Penn Garden and uh, so they became very close and and uh, we uh, we eventually. Uh, Diane had to, there was an airplane strike. It was funny because there was an airplane strike, and so Diane couldn't go back to Omaha. Mm-hmm. And uh, Emo would not let her take the train or, or the bus. So Lori uh, was going back to Toronto. So she took Scott and, and Diane back to Toronto with her, and they stayed there for a week because we were, we, <laughs> because we had to, uh, we played at Toronto and Detroit on that the week they were in Toronto. Mm-hmm. So they became very close. And, and uh, like, I can't say enough about Tim because, you know, he was just such a great guy. And, and uh, like you say, he, was a, he wasn't a big man, but he was 110% muscle. Yeah. And, and uh, but he was such a good guy. He had a good sense of humor and... and uh, we got along really, really well, and uh, just a wonderful, wonderful man. Just a great, great man. Absolutely. It's uh, too bad that um, all that donut tasting you did with Tim, you didn't say, hey, someday if you decide to make a business of this, uh, don't forget about me here. Yeah, uh, exactly. Who knows? <laughs> but uh, do you recall uh, your first game as a New York Ranger putting on that blue shirt? And do you recall your first NHL goal? Yes, I do. I, I remember the first game we played the Pittsburgh, played the Penguins in Madison Square Gardens. And uh, I'll never forget it because uh, we ended up a 0 0 tie. Hmm. And, and, uh, I think I set a personal record for hits. 
and uh, you know it was like I'm here. What are like? What am I gonna like? What am I gonna do? Like, what, mm-hmm. you know, it's hard to believe you're there. Like, there's one thing training camp, but then when you step on the rink for an official game in a, in, a, in an NHL building, there's something that's just mind-boggling. It's just like you can't believe you're there, and then and then you get into the game, and then then you kind of, you know what I felt was that I kind of just forgot that it was the National Hockey League mm-hmm. and just tried to play the way I played. And uh, things went pretty well. Now, when did, you, when, did, when did you score that first goal? Well, that was it was against Minnesota. And when I tell other some of the players in management, they say, well, who do you score a goal against? And I tell them it was Gump Worsley. <laughs> <laughs> Not bad starting out with a Hall of Famer. Yep, exactly, and, and uh, it was it was actually uh, Bobby Nevin was my right winger, and I think Teddy Irvine was my left winger, and uh, we were game was at Madison Square Gardens, and uh, we got the puck in their zone, and uh, Nevy was so good with the puck and stuff, and he he wrangled around to get in a good shooting position, and he shot the puck, and I deflected it in the net. <laughs> Well, you so, can always say that you took the puck behind the goal, skated through four guys, went went top shelf, two hundred feet, and night. that's uh, maybe maybe that's how <laughs> we'll remember it. But uh, though it had a great, a couple of good line mates too. Actually, Ted Irvin's going to be a, a guest on our show upcoming. Um, but after a lengthy stay in the Ranger organization, uh, you uh, you know through the minors and through juniors and what have you, you get traded to the Detroit Red Wings, who were in a bit of disarray at that time, but still had some of hockey's greatest all-time legends, Alex Delvecchio, Frank Malhovlich, and of course, Gordie Howe. And so my question for you is, Don, uh, as a teammate, or perhaps even as an opponent before that, uh, do you have a Gordie Howe story? Yeah, I do, actually, yeah. Uh, it was Actually, we played Detroit. That I got traded in November, I believe, in, and... Uh, we played Detroit that fall in an exhibition game in Kitchener. And uh, Vic Hatfield was my left winger at the time. And, you know, Gordy was my idol. And uh, so we're playing, and I got a chance to hit Gordy. It's funny you say hit, because I, I had a good chance to hit him, and I hit him, and I knocked him down. <laughs> and I was very, very proud of myself. And so we, it just so happened that the play ended or something. But we we go back to the bench, and Vic Hadfield said to me, he said, son, forget about the puck the rest of this game. <laughs> he said, he's coming after you. <laughs> so beware. And uh, sure enough, five times in that game, he tried to get me. But because of Vic, he never got me. Mm-hmm. So we didn't play Detroit again, but then I got traded there. So I go there, and the first practice, we're practicing, and you know how you get in a line, you take skate down, take a shot in the net, then go back and get in the other line on the other side, right? So I'm not thinking anything. I go down and take my my shot at, at the, the goalie and uh, skate into the corner, and I look up, and he's got a stick right right in the middle of my forehead. <laughs> and and he said to me, sis, you're the only player I never got back. <laughs> That's funny. That was a very, maybe maybe it's the best thing for your career that you did get traded to Detroit uh, with, yeah, with that in mind. Because every, and I'm not exaggerating, I mean, you know this, you played, but everybody I talked to, oh, this guy right here, that was Gordy. Or, you know, broke my jaw, that was Gordy. And uh, so you were able to dodge thanks to uh, number 11, Vic Hatfield. Uh, yep, exactly. The same, it was, it the was same fate. Yeah, um, and like, he, he's, he's the best player that ever played. I've never met an athlete like him. Once in a lifetime athlete, to be sure. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Uh, I actually, he was on my line, and uh, his last goal in Detroit was I assisted on. Wow, I did not know that. And he gave me a picture signed, thanks for all the help on, I think it was something like 806 or something like mm-hmm. that. 
No, that's great. You know, that's that's a good piece. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, but eventually, your life and your career take a uh, a very positive turn. And uh, the, you know, the, the, the Red Wings at that time, as I said, there's a lot of disarray, a lot of change. And they were going into a, a real dry spell. But the expansion of Buffalo Sabres had, you know, had had a decent, you know, first year. And in their second year, you get traded there playing uh, for a punch Imlock. Um, and the seeds are sown. I mean, I have to, to say, you're, you've been in, in, in scouting and personnel uh, for a long time. But the job that punch Imlock did in the early days of the Buffalo Sabres and acquiring talent either through trades or the draft was was pretty impressive, and you were part of that as well as, as a player. Um, what was your evaluation now looking back at, at the job that Punch did in those early days uh, of the Buffalo Sabres? Well, I think it was phenomenal. Like, you know, he he built the team. He You know, he had uh, a good eye for talent, and he had, you know, John Anderson was his right-hand man, and, uh, you know, I mean, the spin of the wheel where he got pro in the first pick was the huge coup. True. And, uh, you know, from then on, he just uh, he put pieces together. He got Rennie Robert from Pittsburgh. And, you know, he had, he had a, a great mind for putting putting a team together and getting the right pieces. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, I became very very friendly with punch because that time um i i didn't have an agent and mm. uh as you probably know punch wasn't thrilled with agents <laughs> right and so what would happen is my, with my contract was up he would call me up on a friday and say what are you doing monday and i said oh, i'm not doing anything he says well come on come down to the office be there at 10 o'clock so I go down to the office at ten o'clock on Monday, and uh, you know we sit down, and uh, you know I tell him what I wanted, and he'd say, "Well, that's too much. That's ridiculous." And uh, then he'd say, "You know, I can trade you." <laughs> and I said, "Well, if you think the guy's better, I said, why don't you trade me then? If you think it's a better <laughs> deal." And we, that would be about an hour and a half. And after that, for the next two and a half to three hours, we just talk hockey, mm -hmm. talk about the league, about players, about everything. And and so I did. He he did that for like two weeks straight. Every day I go down there. We contract was even put on the back shelf. We just talked hockey. Mm -hmm. So I got to know him, and, and uh, a great guy, just a great. He loved his players. People, you know, he had the persona of being this hard ass guy and stuff. Yeah. And and but once you were once you showed him that you were the player he thought you thought he thought you were and you did your job he loved you like he he would take care of you like he you know at the end of my career he was in Toronto and and I asked to be traded back east uh, because my mother was dying of cancer mm -hmm. and it was near the end of my career and he traded for me you know because he knew he like he he. He was. He had a. He he wanted to be known as a hard ass and and stuff. But once you really got to know the guy, he was. You know, he he loved his players. If you worked for him, and did your job, you were one of his guys. Well, it's interesting as a fan, as you referenced. I always looked at him as uh, kind of a hard ass. I, I did, you know, just as as a kid, I didn't know. But that's that that's good perspective of of punch. Certainly. Uh, uh, as I said, he did a terrific job, which which kind of culminates from you guys and you personally and the team is just steadily getting better year after year. Um, of course, one big part of that is the French connection. You had a front seat to all that. Um, uh, tell me a little bit about what it was like watching those guys. Once Rene Robert comes on the scene, uh, Perot and Martin uh, maturing, uh, what was it like uh, watching them fly up and down the ice? Oh, it was great, you know, like, you know, Perot made the end-to-end -end rushes, and uh, Enrico could really shoot the puck, and and competed like like crazy, and, and Rennie was kind of the, the mix between the two, talented, could really handle the puck, make plays, and, uh, you know, the, that line, you know, it clicked. They, they had 
good good chemistry and and uh, everything was you know easy easy for them to fall in into into sync you know mm-hmm. they 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 um thought the same game you know they're very offensive and and uh and they both all three of them had the tools to 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 play that type of game and you know and i think really Perot was like when he started skating and he was such a great effortless skater that that uh you could really underestimate his speed and and you know he could handle the puck so well and uh plus <clears throat> he was such a great individual like he you know like he's a superstar and uh he's basically a regular guy mm-hmm. he he didn't want uh to be this you know it's all about me you know it's stuff like that he was just a a great teammate which is you know some of the players that era maybe weren't that like that but because the way he was it really helped our team that uh you know hey yeah he's he could score points and stuff but he was just part of the team that's the way he thought about it and uh which really helped you know we had such great chemistry like it, it was uh by far the best team i ever played on that Everybody got along, and and uh, even though they're from, you know, there were some single guys and and different, you know, backgrounds and stuff. But every everybody got along, and that mm-hmm. that was uh, really helped us become the team we were. You know, that that uh, Punch had put a group of guys together that really bonded and and uh, really played for each other. Absolutely, it's real credit to to Punch and, and the players, and you can see that now at the Sabres alumni. You can see the closeness of the guys uh, all these years later, which reminded me of of something else. You're playing in the odd. It's a great building for hockey, and the fans are have real relatively close access to the players as they did in a lot of those old buildings. The players, the, uh, the 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 fans seem to bond with the team right away, and. Um, Talk a little bit about the uh, the Sabres fans uh, of that era. Well, it was it's it was crazy. It was absolutely because of that building. You know, after every game, you had to walk through the fans to get out of the building. And you know, we we like I I even tell the fans here when I when I uh, my mask that they became like the the, the seventh player mm-hmm. because they it, you know they appreciated what we were trying to do and they showed us every time you know we did something great they they were just it was just awesome and and the closeness of them even in the stands as compared to nowadays was ridiculous like it was you know you could reach out and touch them it was just you know and and that really really helped us bond as a team and and you know you're playing for your teammates and everything else but a lot we felt that we were playing for for our fans like really mm-hmm. felt it because you know it was like i don't know i don't know how to describe it like it was just this bond that that uh very rarely happens right and and uh the the uh you couldn't go anywhere you know i remember when went, i went christmas shopping one time and uh we walked into the mall I started signing autographs. My wife went shopping for three hours and came back, and I was still signing <laughs> and talking. You know, talking hockey, and and uh, you know that's that was uh, the way it was. It was just like uh, I don't know if it can be replicated. It it was so close, mm-hmm. and they they we felt they were part of us, and I think they felt we were part of them. Absolutely, you certainly got that sense then, and and now even today. And as I said, you are steadily progressing in your talent and your skill and your production. So are the Sabres. And in 1974, uh, you add some young talent, Peter McNabb, Lee Foglin, and right wing Danny Gare. 1974-75, uh, you have one of the most underrated seasons probably ever. It was an unbelievable year for you. You had 33 goals, plus 61. Eight shorthanded goals, and you win the Masterson Trophy. 
Uh, I, I guess I'm, I'm curious. First of all, obviously, Craig Ramsey and you are always associated together. You think of one, you think of the other. Um, but when did Danny Gare become uh, a part of uh, of that duo becoming, and you you guys became a line? Well, it started out at training camp. Um, you know, the, uh, the uh, Floyd put uh, Danny with us right away, and uh, you know, it clicked. It was just, uh, I think, part is that we knew that. Uh, just watching Danny in training camp and stuff that, you know, he was a shooter. He could shoot the puck. Mm -hmm. Really, really shoot the puck. He had a great release and and he worked hard. And, uh, you know, we figured that, uh, you know, him being our line, we knew that we could utilize him. He's going to be a guy that's going to you know, he's a guy that you want to play with because you know he's going to work hard all the time. Mm-hmm. And and he had the asset of, of, of you know, the great shot and, and its competitive competitive nature. It was just, a, it seemed like a natural natural fit for us. And, and once we started playing his line, it got even better because, we, we you know, uh, we just clicked. And, uh, you know, I think it helped that uh, Craig and I had played together for a little while previous to that. Mm-hmm. And so that, uh, you know, it's a, I think it was a rare thing that it, it just, the right move at the right time. You know, I think it could have started him on another line or whatever, but for whatever reason, they uh, probably, they, said they put him with us because he probably wasn't that good defensively. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that Craig and I were, you know, a little more defensive minded at times and they thought that this would balance out if, if there was some a learning curve for Danny it would be defensively and that, that you know we would help him develop that curve a little quicker well it certainly was a rarity in, in hockey at that time uh, because the Sabres essentially had two number one quality lines a French connection in in your trio um, so you're playing you're, you're against a lot of the top lines in the National Hockey League at the time. Bobby Clark, Barbara and Leach, uh, Esposito, Cashman, Hodge, uh, Rattel, the gag line. Of, of all the lines that you uh, faced or all the players that you faced, uh, what, was the, was, what was the toughest group for you to, from a defensive standpoint, that's the thing that you can't forget, obviously fans can't forget, is while you were still scoring, you're also uh, providing great defensive play. And I was just curious, who, who's the toughest line to face uh, in the National Hockey League? At that time, you know, well, I, I don't know, you know, uh, different styles, like the gag line in, in New York was like a great line. Like Jean Martel was such an underrated player in my mind. Uh, you know, very, very hard to play against, uh, you know, also the Esposito line. Very hard to play against. I, 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 I don't know if I could pick out one that's harder, harder than the other. You mm-hmm. know, like they're for different reasons, they are hard. Right. And uh, you know, so I don't know. I don't know if I could really pick one over the other. They're just, you know, they're they're all those lines, especially were just basically the same, different type, different style of play, but but still they're very tough to play against, and and. You know, I mean, uh, my philosophy all along was that uh, our best defense is to play in the other team's end. <laughs> right. And uh, we kind of, uh, you know, that's the style we developed, the fact that, uh, you know, back then, uh, offensive lines uh, weren't too interested in back-checking. Right. You're right. And so we, we realized this, that, that is, if, we, if we get a turnover and stuff, you know, we we wanted to go for scoring mm-hmm. because we knew that we had a little more time to make a play in the other team's end because these guys, and that, and that I'm saying that all the offensive lines were basically a little lax in their defensive commitment at that time. Yeah, and so right. I give you a little bit more time to play in their end, and when you're playing in their their end. They're not scoring and stuff, so you know, like uh, it, it was, it was good that way. And and but 
once he got in your end, then it was a different game because you had to play a, you know, you had to be, you had to be smart. You had to be intelligent to see and try and take away their strengths. And because uh, they are all, you know, they were very skilled. Uh, the gag line was probably more skilled than the Esposito line. Mm-hmm. Esposito's line was more physical and were stronger in the corner. So, I mean, it's, it's, uh, you had to adjust pretty quickly. But they're, you know, they're all, you know, they're all tough lines to play against. All very good, very good players. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, again, 1975, and despite being a team that was only a few years in existence, uh, the Sabres are in the Stanley Cup Finals against defending Stanley Cup champion Philadelphia Flyers. Now, you've probably been asked about the Fog game a thousand times, but yeah. I was curious. Um, when I looked at that series, I think the talent levels on both teams were, were, were pretty similar. Uh, you... Uh, but I think at that time, Bernie Perrant was at his peak and was the year before as a Bruins fan, you saw the Bruins losing in six and Bernie Perrant was certainly the difference in that series, I thought. And of course, they had a great all-around team and they were tough and hardworking. Yep. But uh, how did you uh, see that series uh, from your standpoint of the Buffalo Sabres? Well, I, I really see the same thing. I think that uh, actually, I think that... Uh, I think if it wasn't for Bernie Pro, we win that. Mm-hmm. And because, like, we, you know, uh, we we had a very good team, and, and I think we matched up good, and, and uh, but we just we just couldn't beat Bernie. I, re- I remember actually the fifth game in, in Philadelphia. No, fifth game. Yeah. Yep, fifth game. And uh, I remember this clear as day for the first 10 minutes in that game in Philadelphia they never had a shot on net mm-hmm. and Dave Schultz going down the left wing throws a pass cross ice in, in our end and it hits Jerry Korab's gate and goes in the net <laughs> right you know they haven't had a shot on net yet and they're up one nothing and we ended up losing that game 5-1. But, you know, for the first 10 minutes of that game, we were dominant. And uh, we, you know, we just couldn't beat Bernie. It, it's funny because I, I worked for Philadelphia after. <laughs> right. And uh, they uh, they had a reunion of that team, of course. They had to take a picture, right? <laughs> so I'm in management. So I got to stand on the bench with all these guys in front of me, and they're asking me, uh, what are you doing here? Uh, didn't you lose that series? <laughs> so it was a classic. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, one thing I thought, as you go into the, 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 the next season, one thing I thought, you, you added a lot of talent. You guys are playing great. I thought the loss of Rick Dudley to the WHA uh, was was harmful to the team. He had a, an excellent season in 74-75, provided a lot of toughness. Um, and speaking of the, w, the WHA, um, obviously changed the economics around for yourself and your teammates. Did you ever have an opportunity to uh, to jump leagues? Was that ever a discussion? Oh, yeah. I had a five-year contract with, the, I think it was the Chicago Cougars mm-hmm. that I could have left, but I didn't. Smart yeah, and I agree with you about Dudley. Yes, I agree that Duds Duds was more valuable to the team than than uh, I think management thought, and and uh, you know I think it was a it was a a big loss. I don't know what it was whether it was money. I believe it was probably a contract issue, mm-hmm. but uh, you know I think it was it, it did hurt our team for a while. Um, especially in that era where their goon hockey was starting to take shape and you know the Sabres did not have goons uh, all you guys could play but he was one guy who could uh, who could mix it up and play right yeah um, oh yeah yeah actually the uh, the year before uh, Dudgy was our right winger for a while mm-hmm. before 74 75 so yeah, no, he was he was a loss. He definitely hurt hurt our uh, our team toughness. I know it's it's probably a, a 
a bad memory, but I have to ask you about it. Um, later in your Sabres career, I think it's 78 or 9 or whatever, uh, you have a mishap on the ice that involves, I'm going to assume accidentally, Steve Durbano. And you get a just a scary, nasty gash uh, near your eye. Um, do you recall the circumstances of that injury? And uh, were you fearful uh, at that moment that you may have a permanent eye injury? Well, I remember it exactly. I remember it exactly. Uh, we're, we were playing, and, and Rick Sealing was carrying the puck, and I was coming up behind him. And uh, Durbano hip checked him, and his skate came around, came across just under my right eye, and hit my nose and put my nose under my left eye. <laughs> oh, rather, and and uh, it it put a hole in my uh, nose, and uh, so I was bleeding, but it was coming out like that hole. Oh. Brother. And uh, actually, I think Derek Smith came over and looked at it, and he told everybody that I had lost my eye because all the blood had covered everything up, and all you could see was the hole mm-hmm. and stuff. And, uh, oh, yeah, I, re- I remember that. Uh, it was funny because uh, they brought a stretcher out, and uh, I don't know if you probably were at the odd at some point, but they have where yeah. the Zamboni came out. That's where they had the ambulance. Right. And so they wheeled me down there, <laughs> and my wife just sat up above the Zamboni entrance there. That's where her seats were. And she came down, and uh, the team doctor was with me, and, and uh, he says, get in the ambulance. So, you know, I got, I'm getting in the ambulance, and uh, I get in, and he says, lie down. And, they, and he says hey, to my wife, you, you, you can come too. So she gets in the ambulance, and uh, so he says, "Lay down." I says, well, "Maybe, maybe she should." <laughs> and, he, and 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 she and he says, "No, lay down." So I lay down, and we go down and out the back of the of the auditorium. And just as we're getting on the road, he taps me on the shoulder and says, "Get up." <laughs> and, and my wife laid down while we went to the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame her. I I'd, uh, I'd probably feel the same way because that was. Uh, that was nasty, but you did, I don't recall you missing a lot of games. I think you came back with a with a mask. Uh, yeah, cage. I had to wear a cage. Yep, I had to wear a cage. Yeah, I I did. Uh, I didn't. Uh, I don't think I missed a game. Uh, there was a break at that time, and uh, the reason I remember the break is because uh, the next day, the doctor told my well, he told my wife that that night to come to the his office the next day and bring a picture of what my nose used to look like. <laughs> oh. And so we, we get there and uh, he puts like a, a file up the one side of my nose and he takes his thumb and he starts pressing the bones, right, to get back to normal, right? I'm getting the he chills hears, just hearing the story, but go ahead. <laughs> and you hear this cracking and crinkling and everything, right? Oof. And he stops. And he steps back, and you know, I like my eyes are watering and stuff, and and so he says to my wife, he says, "What do you think?" And of course, my wife says, "Just a little more." <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, dear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, and 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 we were actually had uh, a few days off, and we were we had planned to do something with the kids, and uh, one of my my daughters came in and says. Uh, Diane said, well, we're not going to go on the, the little trip. And she says, well, can't Dad stay at home? <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, we went on a trip because I said, I'm going. Mm-hmm. So we went on a little trip. But, you know, I, I was fortunate. I didn't miss a game, and, and it, it did miss my eye. But uh, the doctor told me, like, it was like 200 stitches inside and out. There's oh. a hole in my nose that he had to sew up with a muscle. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, it was bad. That's for sure. Uh, Don, eventually you guys, like I said, you become incredibly consistent throughout this. You're you're just uh, a lock for, you know, 26 goals and uh, a bunch of assists. And the Sabres have a a good stretch right through the 70s. Eventually, Scotty Bowman comes on the scene. 
And I was just curious, uh, we talked before, when everybody has a, has a Gordy Howe story, um, and everybody kind of has a, has a Scotty Bowman story, too. I was curious if you had one that, that sticks out from your, your time with the NHL's all-time winningest coach. <laughs> well, this guy, was, he was a dandy. He, he, was, uh, he was very good at uh, matching lines, and, and he became a great coach. Uh, obviously, he was a great coach, but uh, <laughs> just that he would get excited, you know, behind the bench. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it, most of the times it was a lot of the times it was about the referee, and so he would jump up on you know the players' shoulders to to yell at the referee and stuff. And and I don't know if it's a great story, but anyways, he <laughs> did that one time. We were in Vancouver, and he jumped up and and. Uh, <laughs> He was yelling, and of course, his teeth came flying out into the <laughs> bottom of the bench <laughs> and stuff. And and you know, but Scotty, like, he was—he didn't do anything that. Uh, the only thing he did was like, like you didn't know whether he's—you were invisible at times or not. Like you know, you. Most people you walk by, you say hi to and stuff, and they say hi back. And you know, a lot of times he was in his own world, and he like I don't know if he did it intentionally or unintentionally, but he he would just like make like okay, you're not there. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Even I, I worked with him briefly when I was in Pittsburgh, and I had had worked with him previously when he was with Hockey Night in Canada. I'd seen him, and honestly, sometimes I, I would talk to him, and he was so. Uh, down to earth, and we had these great discussions, particularly about hockey history and hockey yeah. hockey cards and things like that. And then I'd see him the next day. It was like he didn't know me from like, like yeah, like from yeah. Uh, yeah. And the only when I was with management, like he was like, you know, like crazy. Like he would, you know, I, I'd go down to the office and he'd say, "Okay, we want you to go to Pittsburgh tonight." So I'd drive to the airport and. Then I get a call, and he says, "No, you're going to Detroit." Like, like <laughs> you know, like he would do things like that, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, he was—you just—you never knew where he's coming from. Like you say, like you know, one day he's your best friend; you'd spend hours with him. The next day, you're non-existent. <laughs> um, but it all works. Yeah, yeah. I was curious. Uh, when you find out that you're getting traded to the LA Kings, you've been in Buffalo, you're part of that community, uh, a lot of memories and a lot of success and a, a ton of friends. So what was your reaction? Was it something you anticipated and what was your reaction to being traded out, out west? I, I was up, I was upset, especially because, uh, you know, it was a tw- at that time it was a noon trade deadline, so we had passed the noon trade deadline, but it wasn't noon in LA, oh. <laughs> so I got I got the call at five to three. Oh, you thought you were safe? Traded. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, yeah, I was upset. I was uh, really upset because uh, I didn't think it was warranted. Um, uh, I think there were some. Uh, they were in a trend. They I think they wanted a transition mm-hmm. team and put more of Scotty's stamp on the team. And they wanted to probably go younger, and things like that. You know, you look back afterwards and you say, "Oh, okay, well, maybe that's that's what it was." But you know, I I, I just thought that was kind of disrespectful. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and so yeah, I, I was I wasn't very happy about it. But if you got a minute, I got a story about when I was traded, Tally. Oh, absolutely. And uh, so I was traded with Richard Martin. Rico and I went 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 out to LA and you know we're we're at practice and uh, you know first day George McGuire is the uh, GM and uh, so after practice the trainer says Pete Demers says you got to go up and see George you know typical thing you got to go meet the GM right mm-hmm. so we're walking up there and Rico says to me he says look at he says let me do the talking. And just 
when I'm talking, when I look at you, you just nod like you agree. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. I, just, I, I know something's up, but I don't know what it is, right? So we go up there and we sit, you know, across the desk from George and, and uh, George says, welcome and all that stuff. And, you know, everybody says hi and stuff. And, and then he asks the question, Rico, you know, I let Rico answer, right? So Rico starts talking and, uh, you know, halfway through he starts, he's moving his mouth, but he's not, like the words aren't coming out, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And so then he look at me and I nod, right? And George, who I didn't know, he's 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 hitting his ears, <laughs> and he can't figure out what's going on, right? And and so I was like, after I I, I I bet you went on for like seven minutes, <laughs> and finally I just had to start laughing, right? <laughs> and and because he had two hearing aids, right? Oh, and so Rico Rico had found this out. I don't know how. But anyway, so, and, and George was great because he just started howling. He started laughing. <laughs> it, was a, it was a classic. It was a classic Rico. You know, he's talking and no words are coming out. Nothing, you can't hear, a, you can hear a pin drop, right? But he's <laughs> talking away like crazy. And, and George is banging his head trying to get his hearing aids to work. And you're trying to keep a straight face. Throughout yeah, the, exactly. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Um, Don, you, yeah. you you mentioned uh, previously the uh, the trade to Toronto. You ended your career there. Uh, boy, I, I got to think back to it. When you just talked about that that trade to LA with Rick Martin, boy, do I. Uh, it's, it's a shame that he's no longer with us. But that was just a sad time when he was in LA, and uh, obviously it was was injured and. Um, it had to be a real tough time for him. It had to be a tough time for you as a friend. Um, uh, just a, a severe knee injury, and his career ended oh, yeah. way, way too soon. Yep, absolutely, no question. Yep. Yeah. Uh, when you uh, finally retire last year at the Leafs, I was just curious. Uh, was there a, a transition process? We, we we talked to a lot of guys, and um, just curious you know, that that first year out of hockey, that that uh, out of playing hockey, that first September training camp time. Um, how do you feel? Was that was that a tough transition um, moving on to your post career? Well, no question, it was crazy. Like uh, it was, it was uh, like um, it, it was. You know, it's almost like I don't know anything else. Like you know, mm-hmm. you've played it all your life, and and now in September when you're used to going to training camp, it's not happening. Right. And uh, I I think that looking back, I think I got a little depressed because you missed you know they missed the camaraderie, the the, the guys. You know, you got twenty guys looking for the same goal trying to to win the Stanley Cup and, mm-hmm. and they're all fighting for the same thing and 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 they're your friends and all of a sudden now you don't have them right you're on your own you're out there in a world that you've very you know have, have really never experienced to the full extent that you're going to be experiencing and it, it's it's um It's scary. It's scary because you, you you know you don't you don't know what you can do or what what you can't do or mm-hmm. you know like there's so many questions that have to be answered and 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 sometimes you don't know where where to look for the answers and it was it was a scary time for the first little while. Yeah, like a, yeah, it was. Uh, it wasn't wasn't pleasant for a while. And, yeah. and of course, that time, like, I think anybody that, uh, you know, they, they tell tell you your career's over, that you, you think, oh, no, I can still play, mm-hmm. you know, and and uh, a lot of times it's, yes, you can, because you're, you are smarter than the, the young guy that's taking your job. Trouble is, you're not as fast as the young guy taking your job anymore. Right. And that, you know, you look back and you say, well, maybe the time was right. And, and you know, I did go and play for uh, the uh, Salt Lake Golden Eagles 
after oh, I that, left Toronto. That's right. That's right. I forgot I about that. Player, player assistant coach there and stuff, and and so, you know, that helped because we ended up, you know, we lost in the in, in the playoffs and stuff, but it was still a positive experience, and it was a, you know, I was playing assistant coach, so. You know, it was a good experience that way and stuff, and uh, I think that uh, that kind of helped me uh, think that there might be a, uh, a glimmer of hope in, in the hockey industry after I retired. Absolutely, and that Salt Lake team uh, had a guy I talked to recently, Joe Mullen, who was uh, uh, <laughs> scoring like crazy down there. I used to uh, you know, read the hockey news or whatever, and I'd see his, his goal totals in Salt Lake and say, when the heck are they going to call this guy up? And uh, obviously, Hall of Fame career uh, ensued yep. from started in Salt Lake City. You, as you noted, you uh, began a career in a long and very successful one, both in the Sabres uh, front office and the Philadelphia Flyers. Now, you've been asked, I'm sure, uh, 2001 times, in addition to the Fog game, uh, about Alexander Mulgilney. So I won't go too, too much into that, but I did want to ask you a question. Back then, people, uh, uh, maybe a little bit younger listening to this, don't quite fully realize how precarious that whole thing was, not only for Alex, but uh, yourself and Jerry Meehan, because back in those days, of the Iron Curtain, the KGB was obviously nothing to mess around with. Uh, uh, so you go on this incredible journey uh, to secure uh, him in, in Sweden. But my, I guess my, my one question, Don, is was there a point, well, what was the point where you said to yourself, this is really scary what we're doing here. Like when this, this whole thing not only could fall apart, we'd not get the player, but I'm kind of putting myself in a little bit of personal jeopardy here, perhaps. Uh, did you ever have that moment during this whole, uh, this, uh, this whole event? Episode? <laughs> yeah. Let's take the key word for it, but adventure. Yeah. 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 I think, uh, yeah, there was a time that, uh, the first time there was two times, I guess the, the first time was when we, when we, when he came running out of the mall to jump into our car and, and him and his agent came running out and uh, uh, they yelled that the KGB was right behind them. <laughs> <laughs> and so we had to, you know, I, we had to take off in the car and stuff and got away. And then then again, when, uh, when Jerry was in the embassy, uh, getting the paperwork all ready for the defection uh alex i wanted to talk to his parents and uh so we, we back then there was like kiosks where you go in and like there's 20 booths with phones in them mm -hmm. and you told the, per the person at the desk gave him the number you wanted to phone and then they tell you to go in booth number three right and uh so Alex went in there and he was talking to his parents and he came out and he said, uh, I've been disconnected, could you reconnect me? And uh, so the lady reconnected him. And But this time was like, he was there for like 30 seconds. And he came out and he said to me, he says, they know where we are, we gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> and like, what, how the hell did they know where we are, right? And uh, later I found out that all calls to Russia at that time went to Moscow. Oh. And then out to wherever, like, Alex was from Karborosk. So he went to Moscow first and then out to Karborosk. And they're monitoring it. So they, they knew that where we were. And obviously Alex thought that they would be there pretty quickly because he says, we got to go and we got to go fast. Mm -hmm. Then the heart rate went up quite a bit. Because you don't, like, you know, I mean, you hear these stories, like, they didn't fool around. Like, it was like, you know, because the U.S. Embassy had told Jerry right away, he says, our lives are in danger. Mm -hmm. And and so, like, when when I heard that, and he says, we got to go, and, and uh, yeah, we got to go. And that's when, you know, really, like, yeah, I could, this, this could go sideways. Yeah. It was not for and, the uh, uh, not for the faint of heart. Not, uh, no, no, it was like it was like yeah, okay, this is like 
this is this is unbelievable. <laughs> you but, know, and and it, it was great. It was great. But Alex is a great guy. And you guys were really ahead of your time, taking him in the fifth round and really opening up the floodgates as the uh, as the uh, Berlin Wall came down and um, everything changed in the world order. Uh, you guys were, were out ahead of it with, with Alex, which reminds me of the question I totally forgot to ask you about, but I guess uh, you've been asked that a lot of times. The 12-6 victory over the Soviet wings was a Sunday afternoon. I remember watching it. Um, it, that just goes to show you but those games were so because of the Cold War and because of the rivalry between the countries and the in- international uh, intrigue uh, that game uh, the fans loved it it had to be a lot of fun uh, you didn't know what, what to expect I guess going into the game I certainly didn't expect you guys to score 12 goals um, what was your, your what's your memory of that uh, that exciting day in Sabres history well it, it was you know like you say it was you know, it was the uh, the good guys versus the bad guys, and uh, you know we'd you know we'd talked about how good the Russians were and everything else, and uh, you know I think that it, you know we just came out with a mindset that you know we're going to show them that we're good hockey players, and uh, at that time they sure didn't like the physical play, mm-hmm. and and they were in a smaller rink. And you know, like uh, Kong and Shoney were hitting guys left and right, and <laughs> and uh, and not dirty. They weren't being, we right. weren't we weren't playing dirty, but but uh, we were a lot more physical and stuff. And uh, you know, it was uh, just that we we you know I think partly what happened was that they they were in town early, and we had played L.A. At home, like uh, I think two days before we played them, and we were god awful. We got beat. I think it was like nine to seven or something. It was just like we were just in outer space. Like we were no good. Like we just probably the worst game we played all year. Mm-hmm. And they they were at that game. Oh, and and so they're looking. Oh, yeah, these guys got beat by you know and stuff. And and that was totally not what our team was about and that might have played into it or not but I know we uh, later drafted Yuri Himalev and he was friends he, he got when he was coming up he got to meet and, and play some of the games with the guys that played in that game mm-hmm. and he said that they were just petrified of Gary Korab and, and, <laughs> and Shoney and uh, you know they were so physical and, and strong and, and they you know they weren't used to that they weren't. They were not used to that, and uh, so that, uh, yeah, that was that was uh, a memorable game. I, I got hurt in that game, hmm. and uh, yeah, a guy took me out with a hip check and a, a dumb play because we were on a two-on-one with Rammer, and I passed the puck to Rammer, and he's now he's going to have a chance to score, and, and the guy just left him and took my knees out. Oh. So yeah, I forgot yeah, about that. Was, yeah, yeah, and yeah, then we then later on we played the uh, Red Army team with Trechak and beat them five to one. Mm-hmm. So, well, yeah, yeah, no, that was that was a great game. Like the the twelve six one, the fans were just like unbelievable. Like it was just it was it was really really you know uh, quite the uh, quite the game. Yeah, it was a quite an experience as a fan too. I. I Grew up in the Boston area, so I was more of a Bruins fan, of course. But that day, I was definitely a Sabres fan, and that was that was just a big deal to beat the uh, beat the Soviets at that time, and it was such a relief when you guys uh, uh, dominated the game to such a degree. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, so, Don, I want to wrap up because uh, you were a thinking man's player, obviously, and you had a great post career in the game and. Uh, your son involved in the highest levels of the game now, and as I said, your 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 uh, grandson playing uh, big time hockey. Uh, <clears throat> I read, uh, I think about a year ago, that you uh, were starting a business that uh, focused on. The, and, and forgive me if I'm butchering this, but um, <laughs> the the psychological, uh, mental preparation for for athletes. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's. I've always been interested in in the uh, the mind 
uh, and the athlete. And, uh, you know, it's funny, nowadays 80% of the, the athletes will say that the game, or almost all the athletes will say is 80% mental, mm-hmm. but yet 99% of the training is physical. So you don't you don't train the mind, and people don't realize that the mind can be trained, and that uh, what we what we stress to do is that we uh, we can take the mental blocks away from from a player, uh, and a lot of of mental blocks uh, aren't necessarily related to the actual game itself, mm-hmm. and and but they do inhibit the athlete's ability to perform at its best, and you know uh, sports psychologists can take you to a certain level. Uh, we we we're way beyond sports psychologists, and our our turnaround uh, is is almost immediate, mm-hmm. and it, and it's lasting. And uh, no one else that we know of does this uh, the way we do it. Uh, we 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 get into the, the the player's mind and take away those mental blocks, which uh, unleashes the ability or enhances his ability to perform at its best. Mm-hmm. More, more uh, to be more efficient and to be uh, uh, actually to to be able to uh, utilize all his talents, and uh, it's it's really interesting work. Uh, we, it's called EC Sports Consulting. We're an extraordinary change, and uh, like it's it's uh, a thing that uh, our we can improve uh, the player's ability quicker than most con- conventional methods that are in play right now and uh, so it's, it's pretty exciting and, and we've, we've worked with many players we've worked with uh, professional golfers uh, we've worked with division one uh, hockey players basketball players rowers and uh, you know we can change their you know for example we uh, we can change their uh, process of even you know, having a coach that they don't like, or they don't, they they don't like because they think the coach doesn't like them, and, and mm-hmm. that you know uh, affects their performance and and how their confidence and everything else. We can we can change that, and, and uh, you know, it, it's uh, it's uh, the ability to get in and to uh, get into a layer of the of the of the player's mind, energy, and. and uh, to change the uh, negative or mental blocks into positive and uh, focused thoughts. It's very interesting, especially for myself as a father of a young athlete. You touched on a few subjects there that I can relate to, to be sure. Uh, EC Sports Consulting, I'm assuming there's a website? Yes, there is. Yeah, it's Extraordinary Change Sports Consulting. Okay. We will, uh, for our uh, for our listeners, we will link that in the show notes, so you can just hit that and go right to the site. In the meantime, Don, I've been looking forward to this interview for quite a while. I was a big fan of yours as uh, as a fan growing up, and it was uh, great to see uh, the outstanding career you had both on and off the ice and your family as well. So um, thanks so much for spending the time with us uh, on this episode. We greatly appreciate it, and we look forward to staying in contact with you and talking again soon. Uh, that would be great, Mark. I appreciate it being on. Thank you very much. Thanks, Don. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast. Be sure to visit us at ProHockeyAlumni.org.